You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. There's something to be said for serendipity. I was going through Ed Week last week and I found this opinion piece that really turned my head. And it was an article, it was an opinion that was written by this woman, Brittany Collins, who is uh, speaking about the importance of keeping the SEL central, primary, while we're making this move to remote teaching and learning, and how not just it's important for us to do it, but it's possible, and it's also really awesome when it works well, and it's possible to make it work well. And for those of us, those many, many of us who are looking at this remote learning platform and teaching platform as, as kind of cold or technology-based or, you know, I'm missing something here. Yes, I mean, there is, and there is parts that I think uh, are missing in terms of the move to remote teaching and learning, but there's also perhaps some advantages in some aspects of the remote platform that can actually help us as we include SEL in the remote learning classroom, as we think about our students and work on helping them as they're navigating this new world uh, during the pandemic that brings about its own questions, its own anxieties, its own um, real uh, kind of um, exposing uh, the importance of, of being together, of bonding, of being a connected community, and whether it's the classroom community, the school to family community, the one-on-one community, um, it's all coming to the, to the forefront here. And in, in Brittany's article, her opinion piece last week, and again, this is an education week, it's available online, Ed Week. Um, yes, you can, you really can do trauma-informed teaching remotely. You really, really can, you really, really should. Um, I reached out to Brittany Collins out in Western Massachusetts, and uh, I was able to connect with her, and she was willing to come on as a guest for Reach Teach Talk to give all of us some helpful advice and some helpful tips, and also just overall encouragement um, about our efforts to connect with our students in this remote teaching and learning platform. So, without much ado, further ado, Brittany Collins, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Nat. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm excited about the work that you're doing and um, the opportunity to advance trauma-informed and SEL pedagogies online. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the teaching and learning coordinator at Write the World, which is an organization um, that supports online writing for teens ages 13 through 19 around the world. We have about 50,000 members in over 110 countries. Um, we started out of Harvard University's Advanced Leadership Initiative about five years ago. Um, and we support extracurricular programming as well as um, teachers who are looking to support writing across the curriculum using digital technologies. And so these themes of writing and storytelling and SEL are what I'm dealing with every day, but they feel like they have heightened importance in this time of the pandemic. So I'm excited to talk about that with you. I'm very curious about this focus of, on writing and its, its, um, its importance uh, during when you're creating a stronger SEL-driven classroom, remote or not. Yeah, so when we're thinking about trauma or adversity or emotional development overall, even not in a trauma context, the process of putting our lived experiences and our thoughts and feelings into a narrative arc has been proven psychologically to be incredibly advantageous from an intellectual and an emotional standpoint. And of course, stories overall are fun and enjoyable to read and they give meaning to both writer and reader. 
but the process itself of, you know, even if it's not public, just privately having students put down their thoughts and feelings in reaction to a text or um, their lived experience in this time is something that really promotes learning and promotes emotional well-being for everybody involved. Um, there's a number of researchers that have been studying teaching as storytelling. So Kieran Egan is someone who comes to mind as um, a leading educational theorist that has a book called Teaching as Storytelling and focuses on this idea that all learning happens through narratives, that we're storytelling animals um, and that humans are unique because we are the species that can tell stories to process our experiences and integrate them and move forward um, and learn from them. And there are also um, studies from Paul Zak and others focusing on the ways in which stories foster empathy um, neurologically. So the brain produces something called oxytocin when we read or listen to a story. And oxytocin is the, the neurochemical that creates connection. And so stories then become um, catalysts for empathy and then that empathy catalyzes action. So sharing stories really is, um, I think it can feel like soft skills, but really it's stories that drive change in, in lives and in communities at scale. It is stories, as you mentioned, it's stories that historically have brought people together, communities, um, tribes, uh, nations, that this, these sharing, sharing um, myths and, 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 right, and, and stories that, Absolutely. Right, that teach lessons of, of, of how to live. COVID-19 is manifesting differently for all of us, depending on our geography and, and our family and, and the context that we find ourselves in. But we're all connected in some way through this crisis. Um, and so I think that's powerful in terms of a teaching opportunity because we can model for young people how we respond to crisis. And that's no small task, right? I mean, we as adults, especially in Western society, are not very good at talking about challenging topics and emotions um, and loss and grief and the realities that are manifesting in these in, in every moment of every day right now. Um, and to do so in the moment is even harder than it is to do so reflectively. If we're teaching about a crisis in history, if we're talking about something that happened a year ago, we have some distance. But to be able to come in to an educative moment from a place of authenticity and rawness and be able to say that I'm impacted by this and that's okay. And, you know, we all are impacted by this and we can get through this together. The only way that we're going to teach young people to be, you know, candid and open about having and processing emotions and learning through those and using them as catalysts for learning is by being, you know, I'm going to use the word cal with calibrated vulnerability. I'm not saying that teachers should come in and unleash all of their emotions on their students or depend or burden their students in any way with these emotions. However, um, being honest, naming emotion, words, um, and just opening conversations through their vulnerability makes it okay for students to be vulnerable as well in this time. It makes it okay. And yeah. It's, it's okay. Not necessarily yeah. it's going to be okay, which is a message that we do also want to communicate, sure. but not, not in a, in a uh, contrived way, right? Sure. But it's okay. What you're feeling is okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, many times, right? Like I'm thinking about younger students, especially who might not have the vocabulary 
to identify what they're feeling. What what would we do with those, with with students who are younger? Is, is the right, does the writing process help them to kind of circle into, ah, this is what I'm feeling. And is that helpful? You know, I think that it does. I think that writing at any age um, is helpful. Of course, with younger students, you have to be much more careful about how you're framing it. With teenagers, you can, you know, frame a direct writing assignment about the COVID-19 pandemic in a way that, you know, has a lens of, of unity or solidarity or resilience so that you're supporting um, positive emotions through reflection. With younger students, of course, you have to be much more scaffolded if you're going to open conversations. Um, I think that with younger students, they might be experiencing emotions that they don't have the developmental ability to name or recognize that might manifest in behavioral challenges, anger, sadness, outbursts, um, that they of course don't know why they're feeling and acting in these ways, but they can sense and pick up on the emotions that the adults around them have, even if they're four or five years old. I have a friend who has a toddler who's not even in preschool yet and doesn't obviously understand what this all means, but knows that she can't see her friends anymore and knows that you know she's not going to daycare. And um, I think it's different for every family how they choose to to word you know um, the narratives that they are telling their children about this time. But I think across the board, it's important that we make space for um, making those emotions and outbursts okay, right? If little kids are coming to us and they're acting in this way, we can talk them through their emotions and and ask them, you know, what's going on for them, but um, in a way that's calibrated, of course, developmentally. And thinking about your opinion piece from last week, you made some very, very, I think, excellent strategic points for teachers on how to maintain and even uh, capitalize uh, on this period of time in their classrooms. But creating in your online learning environment a sense of safety and connection and promoting students' emotional regulation, whether that's through naming emotions and practicing by modeling how to experience and process emotion, or whether it's through mindfulness activities that promote, you know, breathing, relaxing, um, taking time out of content-based curricula to practice these kinds of self-care tools um, and equip students with small exercises that they can then do on their own. All of these kinds of steps create a trauma-informed learning environment. Um, I think that remote learning brings to mind a lot of isolating images. Obviously, you know, we're doing synchronous and asynchronous pedagogies. We're not in a classroom together with students. Um, However, I would push back against that to say that the connection is different, but we can be connected and even more connected in our online learning environments. And that those senses of connection is really what buoys young people um, in times of adversity. I would also say that establishing a sense of routine is something that's incredibly important and relatively um, tactile and accessible for educators in terms of applying this trauma-informed lens. We know that young people and everyone, adults included, um, when they're experiencing stress, they're they're feeling like everything is out of control. So it's anything that that reintegrates a sense of control that can help combat stress and trauma. So something as simple as knowing, okay, every day at 3 p.m., 
is when I log on and I do my reading assignments with my reading group. And maybe I'm on a message board or maybe I'm Skyping, but this is the time of day and the day each week that I'm doing that activity. Every Friday, I'm gonna check in with my teacher in the morning and we're gonna have a conversation. And maybe it's about content knowledge, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a check-in about where we're at right now and how we're feeling. Um, knowing what to expect, even though it seems small in the scope of all of these larger questions about education, really helps to imbue the online learning experience with a sense of, of control and expectation um, and structure that might be kind of subconscious. You know, students might not sit there and think, gee, I'm really glad I know what's coming up tomorrow, but it's something that maintains this feeling of um, knowing what to expect, which if you think about the school day when we're in school and um, you know, react and interacting synchronously with our teachers, we know how the day is gonna go. We have the blocks from 8.30 to 3 p.m. Everything is very structured and rigid. So you know, translating that as much as we can online, I think is helpful for a sense of continuity and control. For sure, I, I love that. I love the idea of stability and that comes with routine, that comes with repetition, and also that comes with, I'm, I'm still here. You know, right. I'm still here. Like you're gonna see me every day, uh, yeah. you know, eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatnot. And yeah. even if it's an asynchronous kind of format where as a you know, primary elementary school teacher, you're, you're filming yourself reading a story or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and the kids know that every day at 10 o'clock in the morning, they hear, you know, or uh, a more, an assembly, um, you know, yeah. every day we're gonna have our assembly and, and, uh, and we can all check in from wherever we are. Uh, Absolutely. You know, right? Like, yeah. all of that being so important. And I'm thinking about stories now too, because in a sense, I'm thinking about the way we start the day during this period of time matters and yeah. how stories can factor in perhaps how are you today yeah. where are you where are you where are you today where Absolutely. are you here and here <laughs> right 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 and even show and tell think about something small like show and tell in schools like that is a form of storytelling that you're bringing a piece of your identity into class and talking about the story behind it that's something that can absolutely translate to um, remote learning context um, and that allows for storytelling at every age. I saw a school around here has been doing something through um, social media where they had show us your socks day. And so it's <laughs> nothing weighty, you know, like it's, it's, it's some levity in this time, but all the little kids were taking pictures of, you know, their sock with monkeys on it and their sock with bananas on it. And like, that's a way of fostering these feelings of connection and humor, you know, and in a time when we all need that. And it's something that keeps the kids private. Like that was also a good part of it is it's a photo um, that we can share in community in a way that's relatively anonymous. It doesn't put a lot of pressure on families, you know, yes. to, to contribute. Mm -hmm. With so many school districts, putting the focus off of grades, actually declaring yeah. no further, uh, new, no new content, no new curriculum, because as you pointed out rightfully, there's an equity issue here. Not Absolutely. everybody's going to have access, right, to a hotspot or to uh, even the technology. So, right, are being conservative, I think, rightfully, and saying yeah. we can't um, move forward when not everybody can come forward with us. Absolutely. So, so all that to say, perhaps we're in a period also where we can focus on everything you and I are talking about: the the SEL component, the stability equals security component, the writing yeah. and creativity and expression and being human and the, and the comfort and not knowing part. 
Um, does, does that make sense? And is that is absolutely? And I would argue that those are the skills that matter most sending young people out into an uncertain world and preparing them for success. We need these emotional skills as much as we need content based knowledge. And it is critical at this time. There's an article in Inside Higher Ed um, by Deborah Cohen called What Do We Need to Teach Now? And it's all about this idea of, you know, what message am I sending? If I'm, you know, pushing content knowledge and not being honest about how this is impacting me and expecting my kids to just push forward and take quizzes and tests. And um, there's a missed opportunity for us all to connect as equals and as human beings that are all united um, by this challenging time. But it sounds like you'd advocate actually to try to relinquish a little bit of control if we're really hitting on the imperfection, don't make it, don't make perfection be the enemy of the good. Um, yeah. you know, be authentic, be true, but also by being true and authentic, expressing in a way that we're all uncertain during this time, but I can offer you this. Absolutely. I can offer you presence. You know, I think that's huge. I can be there for you. And, you know, along with that, it's so important for teachers to also protect their own emotional well-being in this time. However, yes, how do you show up for students and how can we learn together in community, but maybe it's learning in a way that looks different than the classroom, you know, maybe we're not logging on to talk in a circle every day about how we're feeling like life also needs to move on. We still need to be productive, even in times of challenge and challenge, I think, can be a generative force um, for intellectual growth and engagement and storytelling. Absolutely. Um, we might find new ways of investing in curricular content through a lens that we didn't consider prior to this time. Um, so it's not to say that real, true, authentic academic engagement can't or shouldn't happen. Um, but how do we find symmetry between a depth of intellectual engagement and emotional engagement? Um, and how do we do that in a way that as you said, is, is releasing control to some extent. How can healing happen through a release of control? I think that there's absolutely this unconscious impulse in all of us to control what we can through work, through life. Like what are the small details here that we have control over? Um, and so it's natural for teachers to feel stressed about making their online learning environment the best that it can be. But being the best that it can be is often not through those control mechanisms, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I really appreciate also your reminding me and the audience here that when we're talking about focusing on social emotional learning, right? And when we're talking about, um, you know, restoring a sense of emotional balance and stability um, when we're talking about trauma-informed teaching we're not throwing out the challenge that comes with learning um, oftentimes I find myself talking with teachers about how learning is never passive actually if you're truly you know uh, moving toward long-term attention that comes through challenge that comes through obstacles um, and, and surmounting them right Absolutely. So, Right, so it's not like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, no curriculum. Let's just you know tell stories for you know colorful sure. texturizing story taste. To, you know, right. But really, there's there's um, an importance to uh, the the cognitive work that we're doing together as well. Yes, and from a trauma standpoint, 
um, studies show that that's also necessary in the way that routine is for young people who in times of crisis, that they need to know and they need to sense from mentors and teachers that even in challenging times, life does go on. And so I think that thinking about how learning is a mechanism for life going on um, and for integrating and processing our experiences and using them, right? Like being productive in this time can feel more meaningful than ever. Um, and so absolutely, again, finding that balance between emotional support and intellectual engagement. Emotional support, intellectual engagement through storytelling, stability, mm -hmm. sensitivity. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and this this discussion today has just been so eye-opening for me about the power we have as teachers, even when we're not sharing space together. Mm -hmm. And the power, and I don't mean control, I don't mean like power, like superpower. I mean sure. just we we are that um we are those adults that these kids that our students are looking toward for so much. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can wrap up our conversation with some some discussion about social emotional teaching. Maybe you might have a couple of, of, of bullet points that teachers can consider to help their own selves Absolutely. as you're giving so much. At this yeah, time. I mean, I think that that's probably the most important element of social emotional learning pedagogy. When we talk about this kind of teaching, we are not saying that teachers should become school counselors or that they, you know, have the same skill set or should have the same responsibility, that the onus of supporting real, you know, psychological um, challenges that manifest in this time, that, that isn't something that should be on teachers' shoulders. But, fix, but moving from a lens of fixing to supporting, I think, is um, a viewpoint that can help teachers feel like they don't have to bear the burden of, of being sole witness to students' adversity and challenges in this time. Um, it's a little bit cliched, this whole, you know, fill your cup first kind of message, but it's so true that if, if we're not taking care of our own emotional regulation, and, and we're all stressed in this time, if we're not processing and dealing with that on our own in a way that is beneficial and regulatory to us, then there's no way that we can help promote that in students. And it's really easy, you know, you mentioned like the equity issues that are manifesting right now. And I was just reading an article about the students who just haven't shown up to any online learning classes and any attempts for teachers to reach out to families, it's gone unsuccessful. And that's so stressful, you know, in the backdrop of a pandemic that's already stressful. Stressful so, on the sorry, stressful on the teacher, right? Because that teacher yeah. is feeling concerned and worried about right. those individual students that they can't, they've gone AWOL. And right. where, where are they? Yeah. Right. And you know these people as individuals, you've built, built relationships with them throughout the year. Um, and that only intensifies that kind of stress. And there is a term secondary traumatic stress, sometimes referred to as compassion fatigue that can happen in individuals who are routinely exposed to others' traumas. Um, therapists, teachers are absolutely in that category. When you're receiving challenging stories, you know, and you can't do anything to change um, the source of stress, the circumstances that are causing young people pain. That's something that can become very um, 
disturbing for oneself. And so it's crucial to realize again that you are one part of a constellation of support that it's not you know, the onus is not on your shoulders as teacher to you know quote unquote take students home with you i use that like proverbially but you cannot um fix everybody's problems instead how can you support the social emotional wellness of all young people you know coming to learn in your space in your community in a way that maintains those healthy boundaries, but also, you know, catalyzes um, social emotional growth for them. It's a delicate balance. It's easy to sit here and talk about. It's hard to do in practice, but definitely maintaining your own sense of routine. What are regulatory practices for you? Do you meditate? Do you run? Like what outside of work can you do and who can you talk to um, to, get a sense of relief and release for yourself. And then how can you also model those kinds of regulatory practices for students and just, you know, bring into conversation, you know, these ideas of how we take care of ourselves emotionally and socially. It's even, even the idea of asking your students, um, you know, do you, who, who do you count on? Who do you have somebody, a friend or, you know, who you, yeah, who you can go Absolutely. to Absolutely. And on? making connections, making, facilitating peer to peer connections, facilitating connections between colleagues and students, of course, you know, counselors and therapists where appropriate and students just being the facilitator for that kind of constellation is what the image that I come back to. Um, is huge, you know, and, and it takes the onus off of your being the one person bearing witness to this hard time. I found myself um, over the past couple of weeks acknowledging that, you know, I've always, you know, and we, this is not any, a new idea, but the idea that teaching is it actually, ironically, is a very isolating profession. And we, and our yeah. classrooms are oftentimes silos. And, you know, those great eureka moments where like, oh my gosh, I had the kids just up to level, level 11. Yeah. Um, and but only I know this, or right. <laughs> I and my students know this. But I wish that there was some other adult who saw this. I'm yeah. I'm in my silo, and it's almost like that. In a sense, is um, compounded at this time because not only do teachers generally feel this way, like this is my my world here, my classroom. Yeah. But now I'm remote, and that's what I wanted to get back to is this idea of the term yeah. remote learning and remote teaching as compounding this feeling of isolation. You've just yeah. offered some wonderful ways for teachers to try to um, you know, face that and, and work with that. Mm -hmm. But as, as some final words, is there anything that you would like to share about just finally um, what teachers can do to not feel alone and siloed and, and remote? From yeah, I mean, I think self. that finding ways to still connect with professional communities, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's colleagues, maybe it's friends, maybe it's an online, you know, professional development community, um, maintaining that sort of connection, again, this idea that we keep coming back to, is just as important for educators as it is for students. And that means connecting with other educators, not only with your students. And um, you know, having discussions about practice and pedagogy in this time to compare notes. And, and that could easily become um, like a perfectionistic competition, and that's not what I mean. Um, but how do we process our own emotions and feedback that we're getting and challenges that we're having um, with our colleagues? Very good. As I've always said, when I was a teacher, I've always joked about how I've got my friends, 
and I've got my yeah. team friends. Yeah, and <laughs> the I, conversations I'm are different. Right, they're totally, totally different conversations. And I'm investing 90% of my time right now with my teacher friends for all the yeah. reasons cited and all the resources and help that they can give me uh, during this time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you, and then obviously connecting with my friends in ways that only they who know me right. so well can help me Absolutely, with. absolutely. Brittany Collins, this has been a wonderful conversation and hope- Thank you so all. much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.